Hi, I'm Tom Marks with the Marks Law Firm here in Orlando, Florida, and welcome to the Healthy Family Law Attorney channel. Today we're going to talk about the financial affidavit, which is arguably the most important financial document in the entire case. So remember, our purpose here is to provide hope and help to families in a healthy way navigating through the family law process. So I hope this uh, video today is helpful to you. Let's dive in. The financial affidavit I like to use is the long form financial affidavit. That is the financial affidavit. It says on it that it's to be used for income earners making more than $50,000 a year. I like to use it also though when I'm representing the recipient spouse who makes less than $50,000 a year. The reason for that is the long form financial affidavit has far more categories of expenses. So you make sure you don't miss any of the expenses that you include in your client's case when they're the recipient because you don't want to underestimate their financial need. You don't want to miss any of their expenses. So the first uh, section of the financial affidavit is pretty self-explanatory. Name, occupation, that kind of basic information. The next section I want to get to is present monthly gross income. Let's look at that right here. There are items one through 17 and not all of them are gonna be uh, completed. Only the ones that are relevant. For the vast majority of people, the first couple of columns, numbers one and two, are what's gonna be included. It's uh, monthly gross salary or wages. So most people are W-2 wage earners, so they're gonna get a pay stub every couple of weeks, and you're gonna be able to pretty easily determine what is your monthly income. If you get paid bi-weekly, you multiply that by 26 pay periods a year, and then you divide by 12 to get your monthly income. So if you have bonuses or commissions, you include that. If you have monthly business income, uh, you include that. Now here is the place where there's a most room for um, maybe underreporting your income if you're a business owner. Um, this is where the recipient spouse's attorney is going to look at this very, very closely because on business income, you get to deduct gross receipts minus ordinary and necessary expenses required to produce the income. So what does that mean? Well, are they legitimate business expenses? Let's say the business grosses half a million dollars a year and then uh, the business owner buys all kinds of personal expenses through it. Buys groceries for the house, maybe pays the electric bill, maybe buys all kinds of personal items, uh, exercise equipment, um, yard um, equipment, um, and the like, which are not legitimate business expenses, which should not reduce that gross income. 
So if you have a business owner that's say grossing $500,000 a year, and they say they have $450,000 in legitimate business expenses, leaving only a $50,000 gross business income, then you know that's probably um, inaccurate. This is the place you probably wanna hire a, a forensic financial accountant to go through the books and records of the business to see if these are indeed legitimate business expenses. And the forensic financial accountant, CPA, um, or other financial expert will be able to testify in court if necessary. Typically, that report used at a mediation um, helps the parties come to an agreement as to what is the real income of the business owner. So in that section, there's also things like uh, dividends and interest. Um, that means when you get down further in the financial affidavit, you'll see uh, that you'll have to list all of your assets and liabilities. Well, when you list assets, if you have large um, bank accounts, uh, stock or brokerage accounts, you're going to know that you're going to have interest on the money in the bank. You're going to have dividends on the stocks. And so that has to be reported also. It could be pension income, Social Security income, um, unemployment income, uh, reimbursed expenses. This is an interesting one. So if you work for a company and they, um, you're maybe not the owner, but they provide you a company car, that's uh, a reimbursed expense. This is item number 13, monthly reimbursed expenses and what they call in-kind payments to the extent they reduce personal living expenses. So if you're working for a company, they pay for a company car, you would have paid four or $500 a month um, or more to lease a car um, or on a car payment. So that reduces your living expenses. So that four, five, $600 a month gets added to your income. Also, if your business pays for your meals outside the home on a regular basis and substantially reduces your grocery bill, then you can include those um, expenses paid by the company in as if it was income of that party. Okay, all right, good. So once you get on item line 17, you get the gross present monthly income, then you need to take out deductions. Okay, what are uh, the deductions? Sure, those are your federal and state local income taxes, your monthly FICA, monthly Medicare. Uh, item 21, monthly mandatory union dues. Not all uh, dues to different organizations is mandatory. So unless it's mandatory, unless it's taken out of your paycheck, whether you like it or not, um, it's not gonna be a, a legitimate deduction. Then you can have health insurance payments and court-ordered child support, also court-ordered uh, alimony actually paid. You have to be actually paying that. So you, line 26, you total your deductions and line 27, you have your present net monthly income. Okay. Now we're at the place where we're looking at what is this number? Let's say you're representing uh, the recipient uh, spouse uh, who's seeking alimony and you're looking at the payor spouse's um, 
financial ability to pay alimony. Remember, you have to have both the financial ability to pay alimony and the financial need to receive alimony. So your client has to have financial need, the other spouse has to have the financial ability. So let's say this number uh, says present net monthly income is $10,000 a month. Well, that's a six-figure salary. That is a pretty clear, bright line that that spouse has the financial ability to pay alimony. Now, if your client, the recipient, on his or her uh, financial affidavit shows sufficient income above and beyond the expenses, which we'll get it get to in a minute, uh, then if the income exceeds the expenses, they're not going to have a financial ability. They're not going to have an argument for alimony. Um, and you don't go any further. But let's say your client is unemployed, um, been a homemaker, uh, has no income. And let's say uh, her uh, expenses on the financial affidavit are $5,000 a month. Well, all of a sudden, you know, she has no income and 5,000 expenses. So she has a deficit of $5,000. So arguably, that would be her need for alimony, 5,000. Now, of course, if they're minor children and she's getting child support, um, let's say $1,000 a month, then um, arguably her need would be reduced to 4,000 a month, the difference between uh, what she gets in child support and what her expenses are on her financial affidavit. Now, at this point, we need to talk about one other um, legal uh, term, and that is called imputation of income. So if your client is either unemployed or underemployed, and those are terms of art, um, and we can get into that in a little bit, uh, then the other side will want to impute some income to your client, which simply means we're going to kind of pretend that they're actually making a certain amount of income. Um, even though they're not. Okay, so how does that work? Well, if your client is physically and mentally able to work, um, and there's some other factors in there, then the court, if you establish that not only physically and mentally able to work, but has the skill set to get uh, a certain job and above minimum wage, let's call it, um, and that, that there are jobs actually available in the community, then the court can impute income. Let's say um, the recipient spouse has a two-year uh, AA degree, could get a job making $15 an hour. There are actual jobs in the community available, and you've got sufficient evidence to show that testimony to show that, then the court could say, okay, $15 an hour times 2,000 hours a year uh, full-time employment is $30,000 a year and impute that $2,500 a month to the recipient spouse, thereby reducing their need from $5,000 a month to $2,500 a month. So, Let's get into the expenses on the financial affidavit. 
Starting at line item number one under section three, average monthly expenses. You get into things like the, the monthly mortgage, um, property taxes and so forth. Uh, we call that PITI, which means principal interest taxes and insurance. So you put all of that down um, under either all under item number one or under uh, items number one, two, and three separately. Then you can see electricity, water, telephone, fuel, repairs, other items on the financial affidavit. Probably the best way to do this is to actually look at your credit card statements, look at your uh, bank statements, take a year of these expenses and divide by 12, get an average. And that's a, a very accurate way of doing it. If the court sees, let's say for electricity, you just put $500 a month. Rounded numbers like that make it appear like you really didn't do the homework to find out what the, the exact or the precise um, monthly average electric bill is. And it can be uh, questioned more easily and come under more scrutiny by, um, by the court. Okay. So you want to be accurate. You want to put in all of your expenses. You can see this is a very detailed pool, lawn, food, meals outside the home. I've seen some things also that if you put in just inflated numbers, it really can uh, draw the judge's attention. I remember I had a case I had, um, I, it was the wife on the stand and she had uh, $1,200 a month for vitamins. And I questioned her pretty hard on that and she wouldn't come off of it. And finally the judge piped up and said, um, ma'am, if you continue to hold to that number, $1,200 a month for vitamins, I'm not gonna believe anything else you have to say. So. Don't exaggerate. I guess it's possible somebody spends that much for vitamins, but you better have documentation to show it and you, you should have some kind of reason for it, some kind of testimony as to why that level of expense for supplements or vitamins is important. I think it's healthy. Sure, I take supplements, I take vitamins. I think that's healthy to do. Uh, you just can't lose credibility with the court. Uh, there might be a special need um, of one of the children or, or, or maybe all of the children or you may have special needs uh, for that. So make sure you have documentation to show it. There's some other items on there like monthly maid service. Um, if you're arguing that you need to stay home to raise the children, you've been a stay-at-home mom, that was the agreement you and your uh, husband had during uh, the marriage. Um, then if you have a really large bill for monthly maid service, the judge is going to think, well, wait a minute, you're a stay-at-home parent. Why can't you take care of the house while you're taking care of the kids or whatever? Judges are people too. Judges, um, whether they're male or female, they have obviously a full-time job, uh, full job of being a judge and they don't have the luxury of having a full-time maid perhaps. So um, even though they work full-time. So next is automobile. 
those are a lot of expenses. You need to kind of map out what your gas and oil and your tolls and parking and all that, and your monthly payment. Um, under monthly expenses for the children, common to both parties. So this isn't for children from a prior relationship or a prior marriage. This is for the kids you and your spouse um, have had together and you'll see a lot of detail there cosmetics beauty parlor gifts camp clubs um, just try to be reasonable um, another area that I see that there's a lot of exaggeration on the level of expense is on like entertainment or maybe vacations so um, your lawyer should go over that with you. Should be uh, you should have a sit-down meeting with your lawyer, and go through each of the expenses um, to make sure they're reasonable. Because again, this is the most uh, important financial document you will file in the case. Then you get down to monthly insurance expenses. Then you get down to monthly expenses not listed above. So those are catch-all things. Uh, starting at item number 70 that's where you, you'll see uh, vacations things like bank charges um, education expenses once you get all of these added up at uh, line 90 there's a subtotal so you add all those up and then you get into monthly payment to creditors okay this is where you have to be careful not to double dip um, let's say under the automobile section above, you put down with the car payment and your car payment was $500 a month. Well, you don't want to list again here $500 a month for the car payment because now you basically doubled it and the other attorney will catch that and try to make you look bad in front of the judge that you were double dipping and not being honest. So you get down to item uh, line item number 105, this is the total monthly expenses, adding up all the prior expenses on the financial affidavit. Remember, this is where you're gonna determine what your financial need is. This is why you don't wanna miss any expenses. This is why you wanna include everything that you actually spend money on or that you might spend money on. This is even when you wanna estimate expenses. So when you're getting divorced you have a house you may be selling the house so you have to estimate well what is the expense of the new house you're going to buy that's where you want to get together with a real estate agent and start looking at houses and you get together with a mortgage uh, broker we have people we refer um, who are excellent in those areas that will help you figure out okay what is that monthly payment going to be and so you put in estimated on the financial affidavit so you've gotten all of your expenses, you've gotten all of your net income, and you compare the two. For the payor spouse, if his or her income is more than the expenses, there's gonna be a surplus on the financial affidavit. So let's say the income's 10,000, the expenses are 5,000, then wow, you've got an ability to pay 5,000 a month in um, alimony to your spouse if he or she has a financial need for it. Let's assume that they do in this case. So then you look at the recipient spouse 
a financial affidavit and let's say they have either no income or limited income let's say they have $2,500 a month in income and they have $8,000 a month in expenses well that shows a need of $5,500 a month so unless the payor spouse's attorney can show inflated numbers on the expenses of the recipient spouse's financial affidavit or that the recipient spouse could earn more money, then there's a good likelihood that the payor spouse is going to have to pay that $5,000 a month in alimony because they, their financial affidavit shows they have the ability to pay it and the recipient spouse's financial affidavit shows they have a need to receive it. There's a lot of other subtle sub-factors that go into determining alimony. If you look at my prior video, uh, you'll see that there are there's no formula in Florida, but there are a couple of formulas that lawyers use as a rule of thumb, the AAML formula that I talked about and the failed statute formula that I talked about, but neither one is binding on the court and the court's not supposed to use those, but it just gives the lawyers a good gauge for a rule of thumb for alimony. But the financial affidavit is really the way the court looks at it and determines how much uh, alimony, if any, is going to be paid. Okay, I hope this has been helpful. I do want to offer um, a healthy um, family law attorney uh, tip for today. Last time I talked about how healthy uh, avocados are and you can check that out in my prior video. Today, I would just suggest while we're in this COVID pandemic time, not to allow yourself to get shut in. Get out, get outside, get some fresh air, get some sunshine. Vitamin D is incredibly important in protecting your immune system and you wanna have a very healthy, strong immune system. So go out, go for a walk, get some sun, get some fresh air, and um, it'll help clear your mind too. I know that um, going through a family law case is stressful. I know it can be depressing. I know it can be a time that people, some people gain weight because they eat, some people lose weight because they can't eat, but continue to eat healthy and get exercise, but get outside and enjoy yourself. And I hope that helps. And if, if this video has been helpful at all to you, um, hit the like, like button. And if you've enjoyed it and wanna receive more of these videos, um, would love it if you would subscribe. Hit the bell icon. We're gonna be posting new videos every Wednesday at noon. So look forward to seeing you in our next video. Thanks so much. Bye.